God has the power to perform miracles in our lives, but He wants us to play a part in bringing these miracles to pass. This message is the fourth in the series, The God of Miracles. The message is entitled, Our Part in the Miracle. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to see you here in Israel. We're right by the Sea of Galilee, as you see right behind me here. And I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. And I want to talk to you for a few moments about the miracle of the multiplication of the five loaves and the two fish. An amazing story. We're talking about the God of miracles, and we're taking a look at how God works miraculously in our lives. And in John chapter 6, we, we, we see this story starting in verse number 1. I'm going to read for you for, from the New International Version. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. That is, again, what's right behind me here, the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had, had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the piece, pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of bar, five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself." You might recall that Jesus was spending some time teaching uh, multitudes of people. Not only would he perform miracles among the people, but also would gather them around for a great teaching time. And this had happened uh, in Jesus' ministry as well that particular day. And then after he's completed his teaching time with them, it's not recorded exactly what he was teaching, but of course teaching about his kingdom, teaching about the principles of God's work in people's lives, uh, then it, it came time for people to go home. And Jesus, one part of the gospel, say that he was moved with compassion. He saw these people who had been with him all day long, and they had nothing to eat. And so he looked at his disciples, and he said, okay, we need to give these folks something to eat. Now, just imagine with me for a moment. You guys have been around uh, Israel, this area, uh, for the last several days, and you've seen how barren everything is primarily, okay? And so if you're one of the disciples, and Jesus looks at you, and there's 5,000 people, plus men and plus women and children. So again, this is just the 5,000 men. So it could have been 15, 20,000 people there that day, including the, the women and the children. We know that children were there because the little boy gave the lunch, right? And so there had to be close to 15,000 people or more there. And Jesus looks at you and says, okay, guys, get them some food. What are you going to do? They were, they were faced with a test of their faith. 
And so what are we going to do in this situation? So they're scratching their heads. They're trying to figure out, what is he talking about? How are we supposed to get food to them? And Jesus said, well, just go see what you can find. Go take a look and see what's available. And of course, they go out into the crowd and they find the little boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. And they bring him back to Jesus. And of course, Jesus performs a miracle of breaking the bread and the, and the fish and that was distributed among the, among the people. And they all eight were satisfied, 12 baskets full were left over. But here's what I want, want to talk about. Almost every miracle that you see in the Bible, there's a, there's a combination that happens, a combination of, of, of human need, somebody's in a need, and then somebody is asked to do something, there's a human action, and then there's a God action, okay? So there's a need, there's something that people do, and then there's something that God does. Practically every miracle in the Bible requires something on our part, okay, that we bring something to the miracle. We can't perform the miracle, but there's something that we need to do. As I was reading this story this morning, I saw something that I actually have never seen before and never actually taught on here before. It was something that was fresh to me, and I hope it'll be meaningful to you. And I saw four characters in this story that I never thought about in the same way. We all know the four characters, right? One character was the little boy, right? He's part of the story, right? Another part of the story, the disciples. Another part of the story, the crowd. And then, of course, the most significant part of the story is Jesus. So again, the boy, the disciples... The crowd and Jesus. Say it again, the boy, the disciples, the crowd, and Jesus. And all four of these were a part of this miracle. Okay, all four of them. The little boy, the disciples, the crowd, and Jesus. Okay, let's take a look at what all four of these contributed to or their part in the story. In every miracle, at least in many miracles, it starts with a giver. Right? This miracle would have never happened had it not been for a little boy who gave away his lunch. Think about that. Now, can you imagine being the little boy and the disciples come to you and say, hey, you know, we need to take your lunch away from you. Okay? And he's thinking, no, mommy gave me this lunch. It's my lunch. She told me I was supposed to have it for lunch. You can't take my lunch away from me. And so here's, he's faced with a decision as a little boy. What is he going to do with his lunch? But he did not realize in that moment that had that he was the one that could give, and then out of his giving, there could be the multiplication of a miracle, and you never know what you give to God, what God can do with it. But practically every miracle starts with somebody giving. We have amazing miracles in our church, but you know why we have many of those miracles in our church? Because along the way, people have given, right? We have a church building. Why? Because somebody gave so that church building could be built. People get saved every Sunday in our, our building. Why? Because somebody gave. They're a part of that miracle. So anytime you give, when you invest in the work of the kingdom of God, your giving sets things up for a miracle. This little boy made a gift of his, his lunch, and he was the giver that resulted in the miracle. So he was the first character in the story. Who's the second character? The disciples. Exactly right. Now, what did the, the disciples bring to the, to the situation? They brought serving, right? So the boy did the giving and the disciples did the serving. Anytime there are miracles, somebody has to serve up the miracle, right? Okay. This happens in church every weekend when someone comes to faith in Christ. You know how they come to faith in Christ? Somebody gave, but somebody's there serving. There's somebody taking care of the kids in the nursery. There's someone teaching the children in the children's ministry. There are people that are parking cars in the parking lot. There are people on the worship team. They're leading worship. There's all kind of different parts of the body that are working together. And so miracles happen when people give and miracles happen when people serve. Okay, so you got the 
givers, you got the servers, and then you've got a third group. What was that group? The crowd. They are the receivers. Okay. Now, generally, that's the part we all want to be in, right? Okay. But you don't have the receivers unless you have the givers and the servers, right? People can't receive unless somebody's doing the giving and somebody's doing the serving, but that's where the need is. See, the need is, is in that moment of someone, they were hungry, they needed to be fed. And for them to be fed, there had to be a giver, there had to be some servers, and then they received the miracle of God. Every week in our church, we have opportunities for people that come through the doors and they are hungry for God's truth and hungry for God's word and ready to receive something that's gonna change their life. And so we need to raise up, continually raise up people like us here who are gonna be doing the giving, okay? And people are going to be doing the serving so that there can be people who, do, who, who experience the receiving, right? And so at some point in time in your life, you have to move beyond the receiving. You don't want to be a receiver your whole life, right? At some point in time, you know you're growing up in your faith if you move beyond just, I'm a receiver to becoming a server and becoming a giver because when you become a server and a giver, you're able to help people experience the receiving in their life. So part of my challenge to you today is just to think about where you are in your journey. Are you still living in the receiving mode? Okay. Now, it's okay to be in a receiving mode for some period of time, but you don't want to stay there your whole life. Okay. You want to move from the receiving to the giving and the serving. But then there's one more in the story. Who's the other one in the story? Jesus. He's the source. Okay. There was no miracle, even though you, you, the boy could have given his lunch and the disciples could have been willing to serve and the crowd could have been hungry, but nothing would have happened without Jesus. Okay. It was only when Jesus actually took those five loaves and two fish and lifted them up to the Father and said, here we are, Father, here's, I, and he blessed them and he began to break them and gave them to the disciples and they went out and distributed them to, among the crowd. That's when the miracle happened. I believe that, that amazing miracles happen when God gathers a group of hungry people who have needs. Somebody shows up and said, I'm willing to give, I'm willing to serve. And Jesus says, now I'm willing to be the source of miracles. My real challenge for you today is this. As a part of this message, my real challenge for you is this. I want to encourage every one of us in our journey with Jesus to move beyond the receiving to the place of being the givers and the servers, okay? Tremendous, see, now here's a great thing to remember. Did the giver and the server still get fed? Yes. Did they, okay? So we think when we give and serve, nothing's going to come back to us. But actually... There were 12 baskets full left over for those who had done the giving and the serving, right? And so you can never outgive God. You can never outserve God. Yet when you step up and say, I'm going to be a giver, I'm going to be a server, it's not that your needs go without being met. Jesus always takes care of those as well. And when you and I step up and become those kind of people, what God does, He, sh he shows up and does incredible miracles, but it happens through people like you and me. So God's called you to be a part of His miracle working power. He's the source but we're the givers and the servers that result in the feeding of people and the needs that they have in their lives. I'm ready to be a giver and a server. How about you? Okay. I don't want to be a receiver all my life. I want to be a giver and I want to be a server. While we're here during this time together, we're going to be talking about the God of miracles. And I, I want to just remind you that the God that we serve is a God who is a miraculous God. Okay? The very fact that He is God proves the reality that there is supernatural, that there are miracles that happen. A miracle is when God steps in 
to what would be the natural course of events. And God intervenes into a situation and God by His intervention brings things in order to His will, in order to His purposes, where God intervenes by His plans and power into the, into the lives and experiences of people. So we're going to be talking today about a miracle. I'm going to call it the miracle of the breakthrough of love, how love, the love of God breaks through barriers. And this is why Caesarea is such an important place to talk about, because it is here that a, a very significant barrier is broken for the gospel. Let me read for you. We're going to start in Acts chapter 10. I'll read beginning in verse number one. By the way, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Uh, so you might have different versions that we'll be reading from. Let me read this for you. We'll read down through verse number 16. There was a certain man in Caesarea. So there's a man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose, name is, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. And I'll talk about this more in a moment, explain it all to you. The next day as they went, went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up, went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry, wanted to eat, but while they made ready, uh, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened, opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let, let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common or unclean. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. I want to talk to you about a man, a messenger, a message, and a meaning. I'll give you those, those four words again. A man, a messenger, a message, and a meaning. In this very city, Caesarea, there was a man here by the name of Cornelius. He was a Roman centurion. He was a very highly placed and respected man. And the Bible says that he was God-fearing. He, he had a desire to please God, but he didn't have a full understanding of what it meant to have a relationship with God. He was sort of religious. He was, he was very generous in the things that he did. A very good man, as, as, as I said, a God-fearing man, as the Scripture describes him. But he was just missing an understanding of who and how to have who God was and how to have a relationship with him. And in our world today, there are a lot of people like that. They're good people. They have a desire to please God. They might even be generous, but they don't really understand how to have a personal relationship with God. And so here he was, he was praying, he was giving, but God saw him, he saw his heart, he saw his desire to have a relationship. It's a great thing to be reminded that God sees us all and God knows our heart. 
And so God saw Cornelius right here in this city called, called Caesarea. God saw him and God saw into his heart that he really wanted to have a relationship with him. Now, in the same time that Cornelius was right here in this city, just a few miles south of here, there's a place called Joppa or Jaffa. Okay, And there was Simon Peter happened to be there at that particular time, staying with a man by the name of Simon by the sea. But Simon was there. He goes up on the rooftop at noon and he's spending some time there. He asks for a meal and he falls into a trance where he begins to have a divine vision. Because there's a man in Caesarea who God wants to reach, okay? But God needs a messenger to reach the man. See, every person that gets the gospel, who gets the, uh, gets the story of God's love, has to have somebody to tell them, right? You get, you're not going to get the miracle of salvation without somebody sharing the message. So here is this man that is in need of a relationship with God, and God goes down the road south of here, just a few miles to Jaffa or Joppa, and he talks to Simon Peter through a vision. And why is this important? Because... This man, Cornelius, was a Roman. He was a Gentile, okay? And at this point in time in, in, in the history of the church, it's in early, early stages of the church, only those were Christians who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. And so really at this point, there were no really Gentile believers, or at least the apostles had not accepted the Gentiles into the faith. And so not, not only is this just a situation with a man here in Caesarea, who needs to know God, but there's also God wanting to break through to a whole new group of people. And so God speaks in a very clear way to Peter. He sees this vision of these animals coming down and God says, rise and eat. And Peter says, I'm not going to eat that stuff because it's unclean. God says, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. And in that moment, Peter was being prepared to have his heart open to share the gospel with people he thought could never receive the gospel. The, the Gentiles. And so if you, as you read further in Acts chapter 10, eventually there's a group that's, uh, that Cornelius sends down to Joppa because he's been told by the angel to go and find a man at the house by the sea, at si Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. And so he goes there looking for Peter and he finds him and they have this conversation. And Peter comes from Joppa up to Caesarea to the house of the centurion. And there he gives him this message that, hey, Cornelius, you need to understand that this relationship with God can be found in Jesus Christ. And there you find in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, here Peter describes that Jesus is the one sent by God to perform miracles and do amazing things by God. You can have a personal relationship with him. And there in that moment, Cornelius, as well as all of his relatives and his household, gave his life to Christ. And there was the first conversion, we might say, of, of Gentile Christians coming into faith because there was a man who had a heart and desire for God, but did not understand, and a messenger that God prepared, and a message of God's love that came to them. But the meaning goes beyond that. The meaning really is the fact that God was not just reaching a man, he was reaching an entire group of people. And there you see the miracle of God's love breaking down barriers. And what I want you to know is that sometimes if we're not careful, we can build barriers in our heart. We have barriers in our heart to people, barriers in our heart to uh, relationships. We can let things get in us that are, that are less than what God would have us in, have in terms of our attitudes. And what God wants all of us to understand is that the greatest miracle of all is that when God opens up your heart to the love of God, when your heart is opened up to love and the message of the gospel, when you share that message, lives are changed. And so when you go from this place, Caesarea, as you go forward into the days to come, I wanna encourage you to realize that there's always a man, 
a person somewhere that God wants to bring into your world that needs the message of the gospel and that God's called you to be just like Simon was a messenger and that you're to carry that message of the love of God everywhere you go. And as you carry that message, it's the message that you can have a personal relationship with Christ. And just like Cornelius experienced that salvation, you can be a messenger of salvation to others. And when you reach one person, you never know how many other people you're going to reach. See, you reach one family member, you can open up the entire family, an entire group of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the miracle I'm talking about today is the miracle of the love of God. Why does God do miracles in our lives? Well, the God of miracles does miracles because the God of miracles is the God of love. And His love breaks down barriers. His love shatters things that would get in our way of interactions and relationships. And so I want to leave you with this idea in Caesarea that when you leave this place, that this message for you is, yes, there are miracles, but every miracle is given to us by a God who loves us and wants to reach us for a personal relationship with Him. So I'm encouraging you, I'm charging you and commissioning you that when you go back home, that you'll go back home and realize that you're a, you're a man or a woman with a message and you're looking for the people that have been prepared for that message of the gospel and you'll boldly declare it even as Peter did to Cornelius and be amazed at what God will do in the changing of lives through you. You can make a difference when the love of God is flowing through you. Today we are at the Garden Tomb, and this place certainly represents the environment in which you can certainly imagine all the events transpiring of Jesus' death, His crucifixion, His, His burial, His resurrection. I love bringing people here because this certainly provides the environment, the atmosphere that I think would have likely been during that time. And it's really not an issue to debate, to debate which site is really the appropriate site to celebrate because we don't really celebrate or worship a site. We worship a Savior, okay? It's important to realize that. But this site does provide us an, a setting, an environment for us, for us to be reminded of the fact of what Jesus Christ did for us. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles if you have them, and we're going to take a look at a beautiful passage of Scripture in, in Ephesians chapter 2. I was thinking about this this morning and trying to think about what I would share with you. I, I never like just to have sort of a canned message. I wanted to bring something that was fresh uh, to you today as we're uh, wrapping up our time together, as we're talking about the God of miracles. Many of you have experienced, I believe, some really wonderful things as a part of this journey, those that are watching this series as well, experiencing some wonderful things as we've made this trip together to Israel. But I want to draw your attention to the foundation, to what it's all about. Because really the movement of history has always been from the time that Adam and Eve sinned against God, God made a promise. He said, I'm going to put, I'm going to crush the serpent's head. I'm going to provide a redeemer and a savior. And all of history has led to the fact of God loving us so much that He sent His only begotten Son into this world for you and me. And really the whole story of history is the story of His story. I like history because it's His story. It's the story of God telling us what He's doing and what He's done and what He's going to do in our lives and it's a representation of that. And in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul brings us back really to the foundation. I think it's essential at times that we remember what's really important 
and what's not so important. In life, we get caught up in the things that oftentimes are not the most significant things, but it's the book of Ephesians is one of those books where the Apostle Paul in six chapters really lays out two primary things. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians provide us with a setting of theology and understanding of our faith, and the final three chapters of the book of Ephesians tell us the practice of our faith, how we are to live. And so I'm drawing you right to the center of the first three chapters in chapter two where we're reminded of what our faith is all about from a theological and doctrinal perspective, but also as it applies to us individually. So I want you to look with me as I read the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. What were we deserving of? Wrath. wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship or handiwork. One translation says workmanship. Here it says handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me take us on a very quick journey of what this, this whole issue of salvation is all about and why it's so very important to all of us. First of all, the Bible says that before we knew Christ, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were walking alive, but we were dead on the inside. There was no life within us. And so we were dead in sin and dead in transgressions. We didn't even know how to have a relationship with God. And we were deserving of wrath because of our broken relationship with God. We deserve God to punish us. See, every sinner deserves to be punished. Every lawbreaker deserves to be punished. And so we were all deserving of wrath. We deserve the wrath of God to be outpoured upon us. I love this statement here, but because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. I love the statement, but because of His great love for us. We were deserving of wrath, but. Aren't you grateful for the but God in our lives? Amen? Amen. Think about where we, we would be but for God. But God in His great love for us who is rich in mercy. Think about that. Think about the most merciful person that you know. And multiply that a million, a trillion, uh, just you, astronomically beyond that, you and I cannot imagine the mercy that God has toward us. But because of God's love for us, great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. And what I want you to see today is that this, this thing called salvation was God reaching down to you and offering you a beautiful gift, the gift of the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of a relationship with God, the gift of God's presence at work in your life. And all you and I had to do simply is to reach out by faith and say, yes, Lord, thank you for the gift that you've offered to us. And that gift was sealed and proven to be true by the very fact that we are here in this garden tomb and we went into that tomb and he is not here, he is risen, he is alive, okay? And as we were reminded of earlier, it's so important to remember our faith hinges upon that very reality that Jesus Christ did not stay in the tomb. He rose victoriously, and when He did, He proved that He was the Son of God. No one has ever risen from the grave. Jesus proved that He was the Son of God. In fact, He spent 40 days with His disciples after His resurrection, giving them many infallible proofs that He was alive. 
these apostles were so, so stricken by that fact, by that reality that they gave their lives and martyred them for their faith and gave their lives and has been the case throughout history of their commitment to the resurrection of Christ. And so we know that our faith stands on the firm foundation of Jesus' death, yes, but also his resurrection. And what I want to draw your attention to here is that it's by grace that we've been saved. We didn't do anything to earn our salvation. Jesus did all the work for us. We did nothing except put our faith in his death and our faith in his resurrection. And Jesus, by his grace, saved us. We put our faith in what he did. We received the gift. And now it says that having done so, that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want to draw your attention to that phrase, for we are God's handiwork, that God redeemed you and redeemed me and brought you into his family by faith, by grace, when you put your faith in him, because he brought you in as a handiwork of God. Actually, the Greek word that's used there is the word that we use for a poem. He's writing a poem with your life. And my charge to each of us as we're leaving this land of Israel, we're moving back to this time of just regular life as we go back home. I want you to realize that you've been marked by being in this place. You've been marked by being here. God put a new mark in your life. You will never be the same. If you watch this by video, you're being marked by the presence of a land where Jesus walked. But more than that, marked by a Savior who lives in you. And God is writing a poem in your life that God is not finished with the poem. You may be at a certain point in the poem and you're wondering how it's going to turn out. I want you to know that the poem is a beautiful poem that God has written. Your best is yet to come. Some of you may feel like that you've come to a chapter in your life where the chapter seems very dark or difficult. It seems like maybe it's just going to end very, very, in a very difficult or negative way. I want you to know that although you may be in a dark chapter right now, there's a lighter chapter coming and there's a greater thing that God will do in you because he's doing a work, his handiwork in your life. And so what we must do in response to this, going back to our regular activities, going back from this place or having been a part of this video series together as we need to make a commitment in our lives to live for the Savior who gave His life for us. To live for the Savior who sacrificed everything so that you and I can have life and have it abundantly as one shared with us a few moments ago. And to live our best for Him, to consecrate our life to Him. Go back home and give your very best to God. Pour out your life to Him and be a witness to others of the handiwork how God can take a mess and make a miracle out of it. Amen? God can take your scars, okay? God can take your scars and turn them into stars in your life. God can do these wonderful things. God can take the test that you're going through right now in your life and turn it into an amazing testimony in your life. And so you go back with that recognition, that faith and that confidence and that consecration to God that indeed God, from this time forward, I'm giving myself to you in a way like I've never given myself to you before. Can you imagine what will happen in your life and your family, and those that you work with. If you go back home inspired, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled up with God's grace and power, and a stronger witness for Jesus Christ than you've ever been before, I believe that miracles can happen through you and revival can happen among us as we make that kind of commitment with our lives. Amen. Would you bow your heads together with me this evening as we get ready to pray? You know, we are going through this series, The God of Miracles, and we're not just going through a, a video series from Israel. We're really talking about this application in our own lives. And I believe as we're wrapping up that message, as we just saw a moment ago, the importance of realizing that God can take every mess in your life and turn it into a message. God can take every scar in your life and turn it into a star of His glory, and that God can take every test you're going through 
and turn it into an amazing testimony. That's the God that we serve. Amen? With their heads bowed, with their eyes closed, I just want to have a moment of ministry here tonight because I believe that God wants to take this in somebody's heart tonight. And maybe right now in your life, you've got some significant mess going on. It seems as though all the, the dimensions of life are just kind of messed up. That's what a mess is. A mess is things have just gotten messed up, and it seems like it's just out of order. It's just messy right now. And God is just reminding you this evening that He can take that messy part of your life and He can turn it into an incredible message through you that in the days to come as God's miracle power works in you, there's something that He will birth through you through this. You'll come out on the other side being a blessing to people around you. There's some of you that have some scars in your life. You've gone through some really painful things that have left their mark on you. As much as you've tried to get past it, maybe you've not been able to, but as, as you feel that scarring on the inside. And God is able by His love and grace and mercy to come in and, and heal that scarred area of your life so that that scar becomes a, a star for His glory to shine through you. There's somebody right now going through a test, an amazing, significant, hard, difficult test in your life right now. God's word to you is to hold on because you're going to make your way through it. There'll be a testimony of God's grace. If you're in a mess, if you have a scar in your life, if you're going through a difficult test in your life right now, I want to invite you to believe God together with us this evening for a miracle. I'm going to invite you right now, if you would, if, that's one of, if that describes you, would you just lift your hand to God right now all across this worship center? There are a number of you that this applies to. Just lift that hand up to God right now. Come on, lift it up high because you're reaching out to the God that loves you, the God that cares about you. I'm going to wait just another moment. There are others, many hands that have gone up. But you need God to come into this place in your life right now. It's a mess. It's a scar. It's a test you're going through that's been really, really difficult. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you are the God of miracles, that nothing is too hard for you. And Father, I pray for those who are reaching out to you this evening. You see the hands that are before you tonight, the hands reaching up to you by faith in this moment. And God, I pray for those who are going through a, a mess in their life right now. Maybe it's a messy relationship situation. Maybe it's messed up finances. Maybe it's a mess in some area of their life. I pray in the name of Jesus, the Lord, you begin to turn around that mess into a message, Lord, that will come forth from their lives of your goodness, your kindness, your miracle power. Father, I pray for people who are battling with scars in their life. Lord, they've been hurt and damaged and marked by things in their past that continue to weigh upon them. I pray that in the name of Jesus that you'll begin to heal and restore, Lord, deeply, deeply, O oh God, as only you can. Begin to pour in that oil and that ointment of your Holy Spirit into the deepest places of scarred lives. I pray that healing would begin to happen, even starting this night. You are the God of miracles. And Father, I pray for anyone who is going through a difficult test right now. Lord, it seems as though their faith is being tested, or, or maybe their life just seems to be tested on every hand. I pray that you'll help them have the endurance to hold on, knowing that they're going to get past this test, and a great testimony will flow from their lives. Lord, I pray for every one of these individuals reaching up to you. I pray that tonight would be the turning point night in their life through the power of your Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you that this has been a turning point moment. We thank you for the grace that's being poured out upon lives tonight. 
And Lord, for the fact that you're writing a poem with us, and the best of that poem is yet to come, for that we thank you. In Jesus' name, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. You can put your hands down now. Maybe there's someone here this evening who will say, you know, Pastor, I've never even received Jesus in my life. I've never really started a personal relationship with Him. I don't even know what it is to have a relationship with God. And Maybe you're not sure that your sins have been forgiven. You're not sure what would happen to you if you left this life to the next life. You're not prepared for eternity. And Jesus Christ stands at the door of your heart tonight, and He knocks, and He says, I want to come into your life. The only choice you need to make is the choice to say, yes, Jesus, come into my life this evening. He died on the cross so you could be forgiven. He rose from the grave, proving he's the son of God. And he stands ready to come into your life if you'll invite him in. So with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you say, no, pastor, that's me. I want to receive Jesus in my life tonight. Pray for me. I want to start my relationship with him. Would you let me know who you are by lifting your hand just for a brief moment? I'll acknowledge it. You can put it right back down without any hesitation right here. Thank you. Others tonight, come on, lift your hand so I can see it. Thank you to my right. Another hand to my right. Thank you. There are others tonight. This is your moment. The Holy Spirit's knocking on the door of your heart right now. Maybe you've you've felt that before. You've not said yes. Tonight is your day to say yes. Is there anyone else before we pray? This is your moment. You can put your hands down now. For each of you that raised that hand, I saw your hand over to my left. Thank you. For each of you that raised that hand, I'm going to invite you to pray a very simple prayer with me right where you're seated. Right where you are, would you whisper this prayer? It's not a magic prayer. If you'll pray it sincerely, Jesus will hear you. That's all that's required, a sincere prayer. So whisper these words. Start by whispering the name Jesus right where you are. Go ahead and whisper his name. Say, Jesus. Go ahead. He's waiting to hear from you. I know that I am a sinner and I'm so sorry for all the things I've done wrong. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Go ahead and tell them that. I'm sorry, Jesus, for all of my sins. Now whisper this prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you're alive, Jesus. I believe in you. Now pray these simple words. Say, right now, Jesus, come into my life. You ask him, man, go ahead and pray that prayer. Come into my life. Forgive me for all of my sins. I turn my life over to you. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for each person. Let's pray that prayer. Thank you for hearing them. Now, Father, I pray you'll help them to grow in you, to discover the joy of living for you every day. I pray that their life now would take on a whole new course, a whole new journey, relationship with you now and throughout eternity. For that, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's welcome some folks to the family of God tonight. Let's also praise God for some miracles that started happening in people's lives. Amen. Some messes becoming miracles and some scars turning into the stars of God's glory. I believe that God's doing that tremendous work in us. Now, by the way, if you just prayed that last prayer with me to give your heart and life to Jesus, you invited him in, you need this little book because this little book's really going to help you. Simple little book, but it'll take you right through the steps of how you get started in your relationship with Jesus. It is our gift to you because we want to help you get started. There are people all around the worship center that are holding this little book up. It's called A New You. As soon as the service is 
is over, what you want to do is find one of these folks holding this book, walk up and say, I pray with the pastor. They'll make sure you get this and you can take it home with you. will get you started in your walk with Jesus. One more week. Next weekend, we wrap up the Israel series. And then after that, into the month of August, I'm so excited about a new series. I can't wait to preach again. I'm kind of doing a little bit of it tonight, okay? I can't wait to get back up and preach again. We're going to be doing a new series called Building Your House. We're going to talk about how to build your house. It's going to be an amazing four-part series. Uh, we're going to look forward to sharing that together. With you. But don't forget, next weekend we wrap up our Israel series. Stand to your feet, if you will. Turn to somebody and tell them, trust God for miracles in your life. Go ahead and tell them, say, trust God for miracles in your life. Amen. Anybody glad you came to church this evening? We're so glad you're here and want to pray God's blessings upon you. Again, if you prayed to receive Christ, don't forget to get your gift before you go. Uh, look around for the people holding that book up and make sure you get your gift before you go. But now we're to receive blessing before you go. Now may God Almighty, the great I am that I am, may God Almighty, Jehovah Shalom, may He grant blessing and strength to you. May you be filled with overflowing through the power of His Holy Spirit. May you walk this week knowing that God walks with you. He is your guide. He'll direct you. He'll direct your journey. He'll direct your thoughts as you trust in Him. And may His peace rest upon you. In Jesus' name, I would like to amen. close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.